0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com Let's pray. Okay. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, the book of Ephesians. Thank you so much for your word. Pray, Father, that you would... Speak to us powerfully today through your word. Remind us of our seated position, our identity in front of you. Remind us of how you've called us to walk. Help us to stand firm uh, in your word and in the presence of Christ. God, uh, we love you. We ask that you would speak to us through your word powerfully. We confess and we know that we need you to come and to help us. Open our hearts to you. Remove hindrances and barriers and help our lives to be radically changed Uh, as a result of hearing the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen. So over the last few weeks, we've been examining uh, Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. uh, And we've been looking at uh, this theme of confidence in the midst of suffering. When suffering comes knocking at your door... Where do you find confidence? That's been the question over and over and over again for us over the last few weeks. When sin and trial and temptation come knocking at the door of your soul, where do you search for confidence? Where do you go running to to find confidence? Listen to what Paul says. In Ephesians chapter 3, 1-13, through 13, he says, "...for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ." This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now in verse 13, at the tail end of this huge thing that Paul says that seems to wind on forever and ever and ever, where Paul uses some really massive words that would probably tempt us to just overlook them, skim off of them, and move on to the prayer he prays in a few minutes because the prayer he prays in the next section um, feels more applicable to our lives. But in this section, as you look at verse 13, Paul says, Don't lose heart when you see me suffering for you. That's really the key... Of what's taking place in all 13 of these verses, really the core of what Paul is getting at. You know, think of Paul, he's he's sitting in prison, right? He's sitting in prison, he's on false charges, he's writing a letter to the Ephesians, and in this portion of his letter, he's instructing the Ephesians to remain confident. The question I ask is: how does Paul do that? Like, how could Paul instruct? everyone to remain confident given the current circumstances that he's in and i think when i think of paul when i examine paul and what he's writing when i examine this man's life um, i think i find a man who found the secret of remaining confident in the midst of his own suffering he found that secret of confidence And that that, that confidence that he had is what enabled him to instruct others to remain confident too. Paul was not a man who, uh, who, who would look at you and say, you need to remain confident even though you see me not doing that. Paul was a man who would say, come, follow me as I follow Christ. So I think that's who we see as a man who found this secret of remaining confident. But the question is, how did Paul do that? How did Paul not lose heart in the midst of his own suffering? I mean, honestly, I burned my hand on my stove. um, And it would be far too easy for me to lose confidence. Wig out all over the place, right? Paul's sitting in a prison. And he's exhorting others to remain confident based on his own experience of being confident as well. What we've learned over the last few weeks as we've asked that question, as we've examined these verses. We've learned that Paul remained confident because he had, number one, a redeemed view of himself, right? Um, And then he also knew who he was captured by. He also knew that he was a steward of God's grace. And he also knew that he had been given a great revelation. This is what we've learned over the last two weeks. Paul remained confident in the midst of great suffering because the reflection that he saw in the mirror of himself was a reflection of a man who had been redeemed. A man who had been changed and was being changed by God's grace. Twice owned by the star breather. That's a big statement I think we've landed on in this study. Just write that down and just let it sink in. Twice owned, created, and then purchased at the cross by the God who breathed stars into existence. This is the reflection that Paul saw in the mirror. He wasn't a prisoner um, to his sin. He wasn't a prisoner of any man, though he was in prison, right? Paul knew that. He knew he was not a prisoner of any man, And he wasn't imprisoned to his sin. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus. He was bound to Christ, tied to Christ. You could say united to Christ, one with Christ. He was bound to Christ in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. There was nothing on this earth that captured or imprisoned the Apostle Paul's imagination or attention other than Christ Paul wasn't just a recipient of God's grace either. That's something else that we learned right? He wasn't just a recipient of God's grace. He was a steward or a manager. This is important for us because we like to be recipients of gifts. Anybody here not like to get gifts? If there's anybody here who doesn't like to get gifts we should have a counseling session afterwards right? <laughs> I love to get gifts uh Paul knew that he wasn't merely a recipient of a gift. He was a steward or a manager. Something had been entrusted to him. God's grace had been entrusted to him. And the grace that Paul had received did not cause him to be a selfish hoarder. Of God's grace it caused him to be a generous courageous, confident proclaimer and contributor of God's grace to others. Uh, He knew that God's grace wasn't just for him. That's what Paul knew. Uh, He constantly and compassionately invited and welcomed others to come and experience the same grace that he had received and experienced. That was Paul's mode of operating. He knew that he was a steward. This whole thing is the massive revelation, part of the massive revelation that Paul is talking about, that this gospel, this grace is for everyone, not just a select few. That massive revelation that Paul had not only received but experienced and was now stewarding and managing to others radically changed his life, gave him a radical confidence that he was then able to call others to the same radical walk of confidence that he was walking in even though the circumstances of his life were dismal at best right and so after hearing all that where does your confidence come from where does it come from where do you go when you're afraid when things look dismal when the circumstances of your life are tough where do you go Where do you go to fill up that confidence inside of you that is lacking? Sometimes I search for confidence in my abilities. Anybody else with me? My ability to get things done. My ability to to accomplish things. Check, 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 check. Bing, done. Look at me. Right? I'm a confident man because I got that done. Right? That's, That's what I try to do. Uh, look, uh, look for confidence in my ability to earn a good reputation, right? To prove how good I am, right? Make you think that I'm better than I actually am. Um, don't want you to see the mess of me inside. Would rather project to you a guy that's got everything together, and uh, don't really have a big mess. Would rather do that. Would rather try to build a good reputation. Or or maybe build a good life for myself. Anybody else here get caught up with just wanting to build a good life for yourself? Like you want the wife or the husband, 2.5 kids in a garage, it's always 2.5 kids, right? I don't know why, I always joke that charities are .5, I don't know. 2.5 kids in a garage and two SUVs and at least one and a half flat screen TVs. Because um, you, don't, you don't need a big flat screen TV in your bedroom, you just need a half size one would probably be good enough. Um, build a good life for yourself, right? Get caught up in that. I, I get caught up in that and I think that if I could just build my life a little bit better get a little bit more of what I don't have, somehow that will give me the confidence I need to just take another step, right? Um, Problem with that is that at the end of the day, you and I both know how futile this is, because at the end of the day for me, all of my abilities, all of your abilities to perform and to accomplish and to complete things, doesn't matter. Because right? you and I are broken, and we will always wind up incomplete and broken and missing the mark, won't we? Every one of us. <clears throat> and then, uh, I don't know about you, but when I learn that again, that uh, I'm just broken, uh, I'm not going to be able to complete this, and... Uh, I'm not going to be done (laughs) this side of heaven. I mean, the only thing that's actually finished this side of heaven is what happened on the cross of Christ. What did Jesus say? It is finished. That's the only thing that's finished. It's the salvation that saves you and I. Christ's work is the only thing that is finished. You and I won't be finished this side of heaven. It's in heaven that we get finished. See, that's that's where I want to rest. I think that's where Paul was resting. That that gives me great confidence to get up and take that 18-inch step. Yeah? So this is where verses 6 and 7 inform us today, help to build out this fresh vision, what it means to remain confident in the midst of suffering, difficulty, uncertainty, sin, temptation. In those two verses, uh, Paul teaches us, and this is what we're going to learn today, uh, is that true confidence is rooted in trusting that God will make us into the people he's designed us to be through the promise of the gospel. Most of you are like, man, that's wordy. Can you shorten that up? No, I can't. If anybody else can shorten that up and make a summary, great. Do it. Text it to me. Um, That's my summary of the whole sermon today. True confidence is rooted in trusting that God will make us into the people he's designed us to be through the promise of the gospel. So number one, Paul found confidence in the promise of the gospel. Now think, about, think about these words in this text. Uh, heir, member, and partaker. Heir, member, and partaker. These words, these three words, remind us that we've been promised an inheritance. Uh, We are not alone in this world. We we have equal access to our Father in heaven. (coughs) Paul says the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What Paul is saying here is that that the playing field has been leveled. That's what he's saying. The playing field has been leveled. Uh, no person is more special than the next person. Uh, regardless of your past sin, uh, regardless of your current struggle, regardless of your, uh, your future failure, every person who has trusted in Christ can remain confident in the truth that God will make us into the people that he's designed us to be. That's the confidence that we have. That God will make us into the people that He's designed us to be. God, according to Philippians, does not discontinue the work that He began in His people until the day that we are completed. God doesn't save us to leave us in our mess. God doesn't save you or I to leave us the same as we were yesterday. God doesn't say, hey, 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 come belong to my family just as you are so that you can be the same person tomorrow. That's not the message of the gospel that that, that God preaches to us through His Word and and through His preachers and through the message of the gospel. what, What God actually says in the Scriptures is, come be a part of my family, just as you are right now, so that I can change you into the person that I designed you to be. God designed us to be a certain way, but because of sin and brokenness, that image, that design has been broken. needs to be restored. That's why Christ went to the cross, was to restore our lives, right? We're like broken down cars brought into a shop. Can you imagine bringing a broke down car into a shop and then just letting it sit in the corner? Like, Chris is going to get that one right off the bat, right? That's what Chris does, is restore his cars. He's probably got a few sitting in the back that haven't been restored yet. At any rate, that's not what God does. God doesn't bring you into his shop to leave you in the back corner and say, hey, you just stay the same old rusty, damaged piece of person that you were, or that you are. And he's going to say, I'm going to change you. I'm going to restore you. He's going to go to work on you. That's what it means to follow Christ. God has promised in the gospel to make us into new creations in Christ Jesus. This is the word of God speaking to us, right? He has promised that in Christ we can become sons and daughters of the king instead of enemies of the king. That's change. He has promised us the inheritance of heaven where there will be no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sin. That's the promise of heaven. So the promises of God are a sure, steadfast, certain foundation for our confidence, an anchor for the soul. What's going to keep your soul anchored in confidence when life goes on tilt? What's going what's to keep you anchored, steady, steadfast, confidently? When you struggle with that ongoing sin, when you begin to think that there's no hope for you, when you begin to feel helpless to change your circumstances, when, when that backpack full of fear that's over your shoulder and has been there forever, that thing you've been carrying around on your shoulders, when that that backpack full of fear of your shoulder gets so heavy that you think you can't keep walking forward, and when the storms of life batter your soul and batter the house of your heart, beat you to a bloody pulp, when it feels like the house of your life is going to topple over, where do you search for confidence? I must admit, when when all the fury When all of the fury of Satan and sin and the world get hurled at me with force, and I often feel like I'm going to crumble. Like it's easy to feel like it's time to tap, time to hide. When I feel weak, when I feel insecure, when I feel like a failure, when I when I feel alone. So the reality is, I, I want security. Anybody else here like security? Want to feel secure? Bank accounts, marriage, family, friends, work, whatever it is. We want to feel secure. But can I just can I just share something with you that you probably already know? There ain't no security in this life. Agreed. Okay. There ain't no security in this life. And I want security. I want to be successful. I want to be acceptable. And when my backpack full of fear gets so stinking heavy that I, I think I can't take another step, here's what I do. Here's what I do. I've learned to do this. After following Jesus now for 18 years, for some of you, that's, that's a drop in the pan, right? Um, For some of you, that's like 15 minutes compared to your time following Jesus. But for me, after 18 years, here's what I've learned. I've learned that that when I feel like I can't take another step, and I, I don't have the confidence to move forward again, what I do is I go to God's Word. And I go to God's people. And I go to the foot of the cross. That's where I go. That's what sustains me. That's what builds my confidence. There's no other thing this side of heaven that's going to build my confidence. It's all going to crumble. I get no security from anything else other than God's people, God's word at the foot of the cross. Find confidence there. Find security there. God himself in Christ at the cross is a certain and sure and steadfast and steady and faithful and trustworthy anchor for my soul. This God's Word reminds me of the promises of the Gospel. God's people speak the truth of the Gospel to me boldly. And what happens is this. In the shadow of the cross, my backpack full of fear that I've been carrying around that backpack full of baggage that we all carry around somewhere, that backpack gets lifted off my shoulders and gets placed on somebody else's shoulders. Someone who didn't deserve to take that backpack. He takes it from me. He's taken it from me. And he'll continue to take it from me. I'm not the same as I once was. I'm not the same man that I was yesterday. In my past, I used to search for confidence in my accomplishments. I used to search for confidence in my abilities. I used to search for confidence in my success. But I'm not the same person that I used to be. And I won't be the same person tomorrow either. How can I say that as a a statement of truth? How can I say that? How can I preach that to myself daily? Here's here's why I, I am confident in that truth because the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches me that I am an heir. I am an heir. I am, a, I am an heir to the benefits of the kingdom of God. The king who created everything is my daddy. I just want to live there for a little while. Just want to stay there for a little while. Don't want to move on for a while. I'm an heir to the kingdom. I'm a member. I'm a member of the same body with wants, With other, uh, at one time, uh, once upon a time, uh, enemies of Christ. All of us in this room, if you're following Christ, uh, once upon a time, like a fairy tale, but not a fairy tale. It's actually a truth tale. We were enemies of Christ. Now we're members of the same family of God. Through the cross of Christ. An heir, a member. I share in the promise of the gospel. I get a share of that. God's given that to me. He's given that to you too if you follow Christ. My confidence is rooted in trusting that God will make me into the person he's designed me to be through the promise of the gospel. Now number two, Paul found confidence in being a gospel-made man. This is maybe one of my favorite portions of this sermon. You'll soon know why. Paul found confidence in being a gospel-made man. If you don't know it already, gangster movies are one of my, um, you could call them fleshly weaknesses. <laughs> uh, talk about old gangster movies. Um, not gangster movies of the, like, grown-up-in-the-hood sort um, with loud rap music, although I listen to rap music, too. Um, the, the gangster movies I'm talking about are, are the gangster movies of the mafia mob sort, okay? The, the, that's just kind of a weakness for me. Um, I've got some of those movies, uh, you know, on DVD and still recorded in my... Uh, my DVR. And I figured since I spent some time last week railing on us for our love for movies, I would just pour out my heart to you on my love for movies a little bit for a moment. Um, but I'm not, um, I, I, I don't just love those movies uh, just simply because they're action flicks and most dudes like action flicks. Um, I'm Italian, okay? And, and part of my family lineage, most of you know, is that I've got some mob ties in my past, way in the past. Okay, way in the past. Just so you know, uh, some of my family members were, were, were had some connections. They were they were connected. What are you gonna do? Forget about it. There, I did it. Um, but it's not just the ethnicity, though. Okay, for me, it's not just the ethnicity or the uh, or, or the family connection uh, over the years. that's there. Uh, there. There's also a connection for me or a draw um, or to this to this my weakness. Uh, to, to, to gangster movies, um, be, because those movies uh, growing up fed my vision for what a man looks like. Track with me okay now i 'm back to where we were last week, right <laughs> Those movies fed my vision for what a man looks like. Um, the men in those films you know, they were known to be made men it's actually it 's actually the language they would say he 's a made man you can 't go after him. Um, the wise guy. Don't touch the wise guy. Uh, these were men in my vision growing up. grew, out, grew up without a dad, um, and, and, and what I saw in these movies uh, was was men. Uh, they they worked hard to be successful, checked off their little checklists, right? Completed some things. They were men. They leveraged their abilities. Um, as sick as they were, <laughs> as destructive as they were. And they leveraged their abilities to make themselves into men who were, A, respected, who doesn't want to be respected, um, revered, who doesn't want to be revered, uh, and accomplished, who doesn't want to accomplish some things. These were things these men would do in these movies. Here's the thing. Uh, these characters in these movies, man, they weren't just self-made men. Although they definitely relied on themselves to become who they were. These men were made men who were made into men by the mob around them and the boss above them. That's what made them into made men. Their confidence was rooted in the efforts of sinful human systems of deception and criminal enterprise, right? These wise guys, like I called them a little bit ago. These made men, these mafia mobsters, hitmen, men, um, they remind me a lot of the Apostle Paul. Because Paul was a made man. At one time, he was a self-made man who was made into a selfish man by a religious system of mob-like oppression and violence. But all that changed the day that he met Jesus, and Jesus knocked him off his high horse. Agreed? All of that changed on that day. From that day forward, Paul was no longer a self-made man who'd been made into a man by a terrorist organization. He was now a gospel-made man who was made into a man by the person that he had made his enemy. His enemy made him into a gospel-made man. This is why Paul says, Of this gospel, verse 7, I think, Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. For Paul, he found true confidence in the powerful work of God's grace, making him into the man that God had designed him to be. Paul was no longer an enemy of God. He was now a minister of the gospel. Paul had received the gift of God's grace in return... For all of the war that he had made against Christ and his cross. All of Paul's self-made power was stripped away in a moment that day on the road to Damascus. (coughs) Paul's confidence was now rooted in being a gospel-made man by the power of the gift of God's grace. Where do you find your confidence? When you think about the dreams and the desires that you have for your life. And when you think about what you want the most. When you realize that you've been working your fingers to the bone every day. And that what you've been working your fingers to the bone for doesn't satisfy like you thought it would. When your stability is threatened when your security is threatened, when your hopes get crushed, when all of your hard work, all of your vigilance, regardless of how good or bad the work is, when it goes up in smoke, where do you go to find confidence? And the only place to find true confidence, I think according to this passage, is at the foot of the cross. Because it's in the shadow of the cross that self-made people die to themselves. (laughs) Something we're called to do is to die to ourselves. Pick up our cross, carry it, walk forward. The shadow of the cross is where self-made people die to themselves and they become new people who are being recreated into the reflection of Jesus. And when you look into the mirror, when you think about being recreated into the reflection of Jesus, when you look into the mirror, what do you see? You see an unlovable person? See a failure, see an ugly person, unwanted person, an insecure person. Man, the cross of Christ changes your reflection. As you follow Jesus, you simultaneously become more aware of the depth and the depravity of your own sin and more aware of the grace of God and the cross of Christ. When I meet people who want to talk more about the grace of God rather than their sin, I get really concerned. When I meet people who want to talk about their sin more than they want to talk about the grace of God, I get equally as concerned. There needs to be a steady onward path that just gets bigger and bigger as we go. On one side is a greater awareness of our sin. The other side is a greater awareness of God's grace, right? His goodness. And in the middle of all that, what happens is the cross gets bigger. That's discipleship in a nutshell. Stolen from my buddies at Coram Deo. Bob Thune probably wrote that, right? Just so I give credit where credit is due. That, that's the reflection that we need to have in the, the mirror. True confidence is rooted in trusting that God will make you into that person that He designed you to be through the power of the gospel. See, the truth enables uh, weak men to confidently confess their sin and cling to the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The obedient life of Christ gives me confidence to live in obedience to His Word. And then even when I stumble in my sin, like, even when you stumble in your sin, you can have the same confidence that Christ's perfect life was given for you and I at the cross. Like When you or I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when life is on tilt, we can trust that in Christ, who left the tomb empty, we now have the same power coursing through us We are enabled to live powerfully as we resist Satan, sin, and the world. My hope isn't in the here and now. I don't go looking for anything here and now to boost my confidence. My hope and my confidence rests in the power of the empty tomb. True confidence is rooted in trusting that God will make us into the people that He's designed us to be through the promise of the gospel. So as I wrap this up... In summary, the question I think we might all ask is how do you apply this message? Like, how do you take what you've learned here? you put it into action? We've got a list of questions here which I don't have time to work through. Um, I'd be happy to email it out to you this week. I'm sure you all know that. Send enough emails. (laughs) set of questions here that will come probably in the sermon notes, though. The first set of questions is in regards to your sin. And the second set of questions is in regards to the promises of the gospel. It's just meant to help you do some diagnostic thinking in terms of where your heart is on this issue of confidence and where you look for confidence. I just want to end by saying that as we've looked at this text, we've taken a hard look. Uh, How the promises of the gospel give us true confidence and shape our confidence. I want you to think for just a second as we wrap it up about how a promise can shape you. Think about how a promise can shape you. If someone promises to pay you double time at work, it shapes your performance at work, right? Okay? Now think about how um, if, if someone promises to love and cherish you forever, I will love you and cherish you forever. You'll always be mine, baby. Right? Think about how that shapes how you relate to that person. Right? You relate to that person a whole lot differently than you will me. It's a hope. <laughs> okay? Shapes the way you think, feel, behave. <clears throat> if someone promises to buy you lunch, shapes the hunger in your stomach, right? And if someone promises to buy me, I'd just get hungry right away. Shaped, we are shaped by promises. All those things that I've mentioned are just earthly things, though, right? Those things that I just mentioned, they won't last forever. <clears throat> How much more should the promises of the gospel shape you right now? When you think about the promise of the gospel, because the promise of, of sin will always taste better to you. I love this statement. I've been sharing this for years. The promise of sin will always taste better to you till the consequences of that sin taste worse. Right? Sin promises you immediate gratification of your desires, but it carries a consequence. Sin promises you immediate gratification, but the consequence of that immediate gratification uh, is eternal death. That's the consequence. You've got to taste that for a minute. Taste what eternal death might feel like. <coughs> the gospel promises you Eternal gratification of your desires with the consequences of eternal life. That that seems so much better to me. I like life. There's no lasting confidence to be found in the pursuit of sin. Lasting confidence can only be found in the promise of the gospel. Paul knew this. He knew this to be true. That's how he was able to encourage the Ephesians... To remain confident, not to lose heart, when they saw him suffering for them. Paul's vision of confidence was rooted in the person and the work of Christ, where all the promises of the gospel come to a point in the cross and the empty tomb. That's the picture, I think, that Paul's operating from. <coughs> he found confidence in the cross of Christ and the empty tomb of Christ. Therefore, he was enabled to encourage us, instruct us, and teach us to remain confident so the promise of the gospel gave paul confidence and the promise of the gospel itself shaped paul into the confident man that he was so where have you been searching for confidence where have you been listening to the promises of sin and where do you need to begin listening to the promises of the gospel true confidence is rooted in trusting that God will make us into the people that He's designed us to be through the promise of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for this text. Thank You for Your Word, the power of Your Word, the promises of Your Word. And God, I pray that You would take this passage, this sermon, use it, Father, to do good heart change in each of us here. Remind us of the promises of the gospel. Remind us that the tomb is empty, that you came and you finished the work, and yet you're still doing the work on us. Help us to rest secure and confident in you. In the name of Jesus, amen.